0: You are listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit the com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoyed today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway.
1: I'm going to, to make this point about Blake Shelton because I'm going for Team Blake, not Team Adam. I don't care about Team Adam. Hey, boo! Yeah, you yeah, no, it's all right. Yeah, I don't. I don't really care that much. I just here's why I'm going for Team Blake, because we get emails from Pizza Hut with Blake Shelton. Is anyone a Hut lover? And get the Hut lovers deals on the email. And you can sign up for Hut lovers on PizzaHut.com. dot com, and you can get uh, special deals on Pizza Hut. And here's what Blake Shelton does. We got the weirdest email with Blake Shelton because. He endorses Pizza Hut and he, we got this one email, it's creepy because his face doesn't move and his finger just goes like this back and forth pointing at a pizza and it's just weird and that, that made me like Blake Shelton, I don't know why because he's on the Pizza Hut emails and here's where I'm I didn't have to say that but here's where I'm saying is Hut lovers, we love Pizza Hut, I love Pizza Hut, mm-hmm. kind of weird because I also, I love my wife. We use the same word to describe my love for Pizza Hut and my love for my wife. Or my love for Joe. I love Joe. Hey, thank you, Joe. See, these are all hopefully different types of love. Uh, we don't have the same love for Joe and Pizza Hut and my wife. and that would, Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, we have all these different meanings for the word love, and it's influenced how we see the word love in the Bible, because that word comes up a lot in the Bible and there's really, uh, biblically, there's three types of love. Well, actually, only two appear in the Bible. Is You have eros love in the Greek, and that's uh, like a romantic love, the type of love you'd have between a husband and a wife. And you have phileo love, which is like a brotherly love. That's the type of love I have for Joe. Right? Nothing more, just phileo. It's like how you love your friend, or uh, you know, when you have good feelings for someone, anyway, that's phileo love. And then you have agape love, which is usually the type of love the Bible talks about when it says the word love. And that's the type of love where you put other people's needs ahead of your own. And it's really, it's one-sided. Phileal love kind of takes two people. I'm probably, if Joe doesn't love me anymore as a brother, then maybe it's hard for me to love him if we only have phileal love. But with agape love, no matter what Joe does to me, I'm going to love him and put his feelings before my own. And that's usually the type of love the Bible talks about. It's almost always in the Greek is the word agape when they talk about the word love. Not phileo, that's having good feelings for someone and liking someone, but agape, it's putting other people's needs ahead of your own, which is the great message of the movie Frozen. I like this movie because it actually says that. Olaf, we all like Olaf, uh, the great philosopher Olaf, who says to Anna, who doesn't know what love is, he says that, Love is putting other people's needs ahead of your own. And when I first heard that Frozen, a kid's movie, I'm like, wow, they got it right. Yeah, I haven't, usually don't hear that in a kid's movie, so I'd recommend Frozen as well, and Blake Shelton, and Pizza Hut. And you're going to get lots of recommendations today. So, yeah, you know. Helpful, yeah, Very good. Uh, so agape love is putting other people's needs ahead of your own. It's laying down your own life and thinking of other people's needs first. And the Bible, especially in this passage in 1 John we're going to read tonight, talks about loving one another, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And it uses the word agape love. But so it's important to remember that that's the kind of love we're talking about. Not we feel good about each other or we like each other, but that we lay down our lives for each other and put other people's needs ahead of our own. And we don't always do a great job of that as Christians. Sometimes, really, we do a terrible job about it. I mean, here's a lot of things. I've done these things. I've heard these things in this church. Things like rumors about brothers and sisters. Right? We've all heard those, or maybe even said them. I have. Gossip, right? We gossip about each other. Uh, we have these little fights about things that don't really matter. We have church splits okay? way more often than we should. We judge each other. And these types of things are not agape love for our brothers and sisters. This is... Not. It's the opposite. This is a lot of times what we do as Christians is we don't love one another like we're going to see tonight in this section. And John makes a huge deal about this. That it's not just some side thing, but almost that it, well it's an indicator of our salvations, as we'll see later. Not something we do to gain it, but it's a sign that we've truly been saved. And before we jump into 1 John, I want to read a couple parts from the Gospel of John that shows where John is coming from. Because John was Jesus probably Jesus' best friend. And he heard right from Jesus' mouth the things he's writing about here. I think we've mentioned them before. John kind of writes in a circular way, comes back to the same ideas. But I want to read these first to know John is writing these almost exactly what he heard from Jesus. And the context is Jesus' uh, last night living on earth free, and when he's having his uh, final meal with his disciples, and he lays out some things for them that are very important about love. So the first thing, just a couple of verses from John chapter 17, starting at verse 20, what Jesus tells his disciples on his last night on earth. So Jesus says this, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. He's talking about us us as Christians. I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me. It's very important. The world may know you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, For you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. So that's an important thing Jesus says that's going to help us understand tonight. A couple things that we are one. His believers, his followers, Christians, are one as Jesus is one in the Trinity. Uh, one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they are one, and we should reflect that as Christians, as being of one mind. And he says, this is huge, that the world may know that you have sent me. And he's going to say that again, that according to Jesus, whom we believe, because we're Christians, that the best way for the world to know that Jesus is God, that he was sent from God the Father to pay for our sins, is by the love we have for one another. And there's nothing against outreach and trying to help other people outside the church. But Jesus says the best way to get people to know Jesus was sent from God the Father is the love we are supposed to have for each other. He also says a little bit earlier on that same night in John chapter 15, starting in verse 12, He gives His new commandment, which John talks about a lot. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another." And as we read in 1 John tonight, it sounds very familiar to those two passages. Then John, we have a huge privilege to read something that someone who knew Jesus wrote. And he was spent a few years with Jesus, following him. He was probably his best friend. And he writes this in a letter to other Christians, that Jesus' commandment is to love one another. And that's what we're going to see tonight. But again, this is not always something that we do a great job of. Um, so we're going to see three reasons why we need to love one another. Start in chapter 3 of First John, starting in verse 11. Uh, so the first reason John says why we need to love each other as Christians, and the big picture is this is the best way for the world to know who Jesus is, is what Jesus says. Before we should be thinking about outreach, which is important, we should think about how to love each other. Because people don't see Christians and think, I want to be a part of that, typically. They usually see Christians and say, I don't want anything to do with that. Jesus, I don't have a problem with. But Christians aren't always nice. And that's the way a lot of people see us, What you will look at right here. So John says that because Christians already have enough enemies, we need to love one another. So starting in verse 11 of chapter 3, that's what he's saying, that we have a lot of enemies. He says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's what we just read, what Jesus said, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who is of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life, because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. As we've been going through John, I've noticed a lot of times we have these Great messages, you know, we need to love one another and put other people's needs ahead of our own. But at the same time, John is never, like, sappy or sentimental about it. It's always pretty, like, this is a harsh word. He says that if you don't love the brethren, you abide in death, in spiritual death. He says whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And we see John saying that, and he says this further on as well, that if you... Do not like your brothers and sisters if you hate them, if you don't put their needs ahead of your own, that you're abiding in death. And this isn't something that, you know, we don't. God forgives our sins when we turn to Him. But this is something that John almost, he he says this is a sign of being a Christian. And that's why I call this what it means to be a Christian because he says all these different things that should happen when you give your life to Jesus and when you turn from your sin and accept His payment There's all these different things that should be happening. And one of those things is that we start loving our brothers and sisters. We start to love Christians. Not we feel great about them and we even like them, but that we think of their needs and put their needs ahead of our own. So we're going to see, this is kind of a theoretical part. Then we'll move on to something more practical and then theological. So he's saying in theory that we have a lot of enemies already. He says, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. That shouldn't be a surprise if the world doesn't hate you, or if the world does hate you. Jesus even tells us that the world is going to hate us. Right after one of the parts I just read, Jesus says in John chapter 15, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So we worship Jesus because Jesus is God. He paid for our sins. Jesus was murdered, though. People persecuted him. They did not like the things he taught. Today, people don't like the things that he taught because it's exclusive. He says he's the only way to the Father. There's no other way to heaven except through Jesus. People don't like that. They want to believe there's all these other paths. When you say this path doesn't lead to heaven, but only Jesus... He's the narrow way. People don't like that. And so they murdered him then and people says that do not marvel if the world hates you. People a lot of times don't like Christians. This was me before I was a Christian and we have all these negative perceptions of who Christians are which I think I mean a lot of times they're unfounded but that is not how the world should see us. But here's the point. We have enough enemies. We shouldn't have added to all those enemies each other. And if you want to really see what people think about Christians, the Internet is a great place because people tend to be more polite in person. But if you go on the Internet and start reading comments like I love, uh, like Yahoo News, wasting time on my lunch break on Yahoo News, because there's meaningless news articles on there. And whenever there's any article remotely connected to Christianity, read that and read the comments and see how much people hate Christianity and how much they do not like Jesus. It's amazing. And you can really learn a lot from that, too, to see what people, what are really people's issues and problems. But and not all non-believers, but Jesus says the world isn't going to like you if you're a Christian. And they, people will like you, but for the most part, I mean, they'll think different things about you. Sometimes people obviously have different levels of hatred. But let me, I wanted to read this to you from the Internet, from Joshua Ellick, his blog. He has a blog called Me Things, and it's the top ten reasons why people hate Christians. Drum roll! Should we go ten, nine, eight, or one, two, three? Let's go ten, nine, eight. Hey, build it up. Hey, these are, and this is just to show you, hey, we have a lot of enemies out in the world, and we shouldn't have a lot of enemies in here. Hey, number ten, Christians have no sense of humor about their own religion. And you know, I don't always disagree with all these things. Number nine, Christians take themselves too seriously. Number eight, Christians are more concerned about numbers than they are about Jesus. Number seven, Christians hate people groups that disagree with them. Number six, Christians worry about stupid things that don't bother anyone else and assume that other people care about their petty fights. Number five, Christians are stubborn and stupid. Number four, Christians assume that you are going to hell. Number three, Christians are hypocritical. Number two, Christians are unforgiving. And the number one thing people hate about Christians, Christians are judgmental. (laughs) This is an official list, but there's a whole bunch of stuff. Just type in why I hate Christians on the Internet. People have all this stuff. I mean, and people are generally more polite in person than they are on the Internet. So the Internet's a good place to kind of get what people really think. And that's just one person, and this person says that they're Christian anyway. But, and like I said, I don't disagree with a lot of all these things. I think a lot of the perceptions people have about Christians are unfounded. Because I used to be on the other side, too. I would have written, if I wrote a blog, I might have written something like this uh, back in my stupid days. But this is, a lot of times, what the world thinks of us. And we have a lot of people that don't really like us. Again, because it's exclusive. It, it, most people say, or religions, if you do enough good things, you can earn your way to heaven. There's a lot of ways to get to heaven, a lot of paths. Christianity says there's one path, and it's a narrow path, and it's Jesus Christ. And he alone... Is the way to the Father, and people don't like being told they're following the wrong path. Uh, and so the world says all these things about us, and there's a whole bunch of other reasons you can look. At. It's kind of fun to look up again for a, uh, I guess a ministry. Center. I don't know. I like to see what people think and what. It's just something I like doing. But we have a lot of enemies outside of these walls. We don't need more enemies in here. And we are to love one another. John writes very clearly, and Jesus. Now John, he did a lot of work for me as you know, a teacher here, because it's hard to come up with illustrations, but John gives me one right here. He illustrates this with Cain and Abel. He, brings, he says, uh, we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And so I want to look at that briefly and see why he brings up Cain and Abel at this point. Uh, so the story of Cain and Abel is way at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 4, you know, I'll just read that so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it says in Genesis chapter 4, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked of Abel, his brother, and it came to pass, When they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And so John, as he's telling us to love one another, he brings up that story of two brothers. The first murder, when Cain murdered his brother Abel. They both presented a sacrifice to God. They were both worshiping God in their own different way. Abel's sacrifice was his first fruits. It was something that mattered to him. It was important. He gave that to God. But Cain tried to get away with just giving him a token offering. And God wanted Cain's best. It, he wanted him to worship him with his first fruits, not just what was left over. There's a whole message about giving in there, but for the purpose of this, they're looking at loving each other. So when Cain gives just a token offering, something that wouldn't really matter if he misses, God gives him a chance to repent and to confess his sin and give something, you know, give make a sacrifice to God because of how great he is. and Cain doesn't. Instead, he gets mad at his brother and murders him. And I think there's a couple applications here to loving each other as Christians. I mean, I think an immediate one is maybe sometimes we see a brother or sister being blessed by God because they're giving their first fruits, and we're giving just what's left over. And we're not giving our best to God. We're giving, you know, whatever that's not going to really make an impact in our lives. And someone else is really giving their time and their money and their talents to God. And they're being blessed. And we're going through all these difficult times. And then maybe... Instead of repenting like Cain should have, we start to get mad at our brother and say, well, he's making me look bad. And we start to get jealous. And then we get that hatred towards each other, and that's not loving one another. Instead of being happy for brothers and sisters being blessed because they're really giving their first fruits to God, we get jealous. And there's, there's one application. But I think a bigger application for this message about loving one another is is Cain should have been Abel 's brother. They were brothers by blood. And instead of Cain being there to help his brother Abel to encourage him and say, "Man I'm so glad the Lord is blessing you. You maybe even help me encourage me to give me or to uh, encourage me to give my better offerings to God, he got mad at Abel and murdered him, and Cain should have been a brother to him instead of an enemy. And John brings that up right here in this context of loving one another. And when we get jealous at each other or you know, gossip about each other, give rumors, all these different things are not even having that agape love for one another. We are supposed to be brothers and sisters. I think, we, I think it was last week when we were talking about being God's children. God is our Father and we are brothers and sisters. And we should not be like Cain and Abel or not being like Cain and getting jealous of our brothers and sisters or getting mad at them. We are to be brothers to them. And sisters, so what, I would just ask just a couple questions to think about, what's the most loving thing that another believer has done for you? And hopefully there's times you can recall when a brother or sister has done, given you, or blessed you with something because they're putting down their needs and putting your needs first. Or, may, or I think here's the bigger question, what is the most loving thing you've done for another brother or sister? And just think about those things. Uh, Secondly, why John says to love one another. First, because we already have enough enemies. We don't need more in the body. Secondly, because of Jesus. Because Jesus is our example. Jesus uh, is who we strive to be. Not that we'll ever become that, but he's who we worship. And his example should set our life course. So in verses 16 through 18, here's what John says. By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. Again, it's another pretty uh, exhortive, is that a word? Uh, exhortation from John. Pretty serious about what we should be doing for one another as Christians, as brothers and sisters. And I know I've failed this a whole bunch. And one of the hard things about teaching is you get convicted all the time and start to think about how should I be doing this better. And what he's talking about is Jesus didn't just say, uh, wait, he he didn't just say, you know, I'm going to, wait, let me just back up from that. Jesus did he didn't just say He did. He, was, he did action to show His love. And that's how we know love, because He laid down His life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Because we worship Jesus as God, He's our example for how we show love. So this is the practical part. First theoretical, now practical. When you think about what Jesus did, they're going all the way back. They, all things were created for uh, Him and through Him Jesus, and He created this earth to be good, without sin. And we ruin that. Humans ruin that. The first people, Adam and Eve, ruined that, rebelled against God, believed in Satan's lies, and ruined it. And we can't just look at them and say, oh, I would have done better. We would have done the same thing. Because we've all chosen sin. So Jesus creates this beautiful world, and God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, working together, creating this beautiful world in this universe, and we ruin it. And instead of just letting it be like that. God loves us so much, He doesn't want to stay separated from us because our sin has separated us from God for eternity because He is perfect and He is also just and He's not going to just overlook all the terrible things people have done. So we're separated from God. And what He did was look on people and He didn't want that. It wasn't that we deserve to be reconnected with God. We made the mistake. But the first person He called to Him was Abraham. And He looked on Abraham and said, I want to be reconciled. So all through the Old Testament is looking forward to Jesus. All the sacrificial systems and all the uh, laws is looking forward to a Savior, a Redeemer. And that, that's what they were doing at that moment to be reconciled to God. But there was always going to be a payment that was going to pay for sins in full to bring us back together with God. And that happened through God the Son, Jesus. That God the Son has existed from eternity past. He's always existed as God, but He humbled himself. The Bible says he emptied himself of all that to make himself of no reputation to come to this earth to fix our problem. And the problem that we created, not him. He made us better than that and we denied that and chose to believe Satan and sin. And there's nothing we could do to connect that gap. But Jesus emptied himself of all that. And he remained God, but he added to that humanity. And he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He lived perfectly under the law. And the only reason why he did that was to die to pay for all of our sins. He didn't have to do any of that. I think we forget that sometimes as Christians. and We kind of just glibly say, Jesus died for my sins. And not really. Think about all the things that represents. First, he didn't have to do any of that. It was our problem. And God didn't have to look on us with mercy and love and want to reconnect us. But he did. And God himself came to the earth and became the God-man, Jesus Christ, to reconnect us. And then he gives us that free opportunity to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus, to be forgiven of all of our sins, to be joined again with God and reconciled, and have God the Holy Spirit enter us. And we didn't deserve any of that. God didn't have to do any of that. But he did out of his love for us. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what is our example as Christians to lay down our lives. God didn't just stay up in heaven and say, you know what? I wish these people could be reconciled to me. Maybe if they did enough good works and maybe if they were righteous enough they could be reconciled and just sit there and did nothing. No, God came to the earth to do all of that for us. And not just sitting back and doing nothing, but doing all the work on our behalf. And not that He needed to, but because He wanted to. And I I've used this before, but I think it's a great you know, mental picture of uh, we were all together, God and humanity, before sin entered the world. But sin has kind of put us on two different cliffs, God over here and us over here. And we, I think as people, tend to think that those cliffs are pretty close together. And maybe if we run hard enough, we can jump over the cliff. or Maybe we can build a bridge that's going to bridge the gap. But we have no idea how far we are apart from God, from how perfect He is, and how sinful we are. And there's nothing that could bridge those two cliffs or that gap, except for the blood of Jesus from the cross, from His sacrifice. That is how humans and people, God being or humans and God, humans being sinful, God being perfect, how we can be reconciled. And Jesus, it was action. It was not just saying it and hoping for the best. He did it. He did it for us. He laid down His life for us, and that's how we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That is a huge statement. I mean, there's no way we can do what Jesus did. But we know what Jesus didn't do was, like I said, he didn't just sit there in heaven and say, good luck, you guys, I'll pray for you. You know, like we sometimes say. And then he says, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? How, if Jesus did that looking at us and just said they can, you know, I'll pray for them. Like a lot of times we say it's kind of Christian for I want to help but not really. And I've been guilty of that myself. And like I said, I'm convicted a lot studying this and thinking about what it really means. And if we have the ability to help each other and put other people's needs ahead of our own, but we don't, we shut up our heart, how does the love of God abide in us? How does that reflect anything that Jesus did for us? If when we know people are hurting and we could help them and we just say, well, I hope the best for you. Figure it out. Jesus is about action. And not only that, I mean, Jesus died to pay for our sins. As long as we turn to Him, that's all we have to do. Turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. And then we become part of something bigger. We become adopted in God's family and to be His kids. And another way that the Bible describes us as brother and sisters is that we are the bride of Christ. The collective church. The church is people, not a building. So everyone who has the Holy Spirit living in them is part called, theologically, what's called the invisible church. And there's the invisible church and the visible church. Visible church is right here. Sometimes it's called the local church. It's, we can see it. But not everybody here or in every local church is part of the invisible church. The one and to people who have truly repented of their sin and given their lives to Jesus and the Holy Spirit enters them. That's called the invisible church. And we are, that is one body. And that's the bride of Christ. That's who we die for, to have a, a flawless bride, you know, without spot, spot or blemish. And as the bride of Christ, as the invisible church, the uh, body of Christ, that's who we are. We are Jesus' body right now on the earth. He is the head he decides what to do. He calls the shots, but he works through us now. What an amazing privilege that we get to be his body. That's why we're called the body, because we're Jesus' body. He's the head, we're the body, and the thing working through all that is the spirit. So it's this great picture of a complete person. with Jesus as the head, the body is us, and then the spirit is giving us the life and the motivator to do the things that we are supposed to do, that Jesus commands as his body. So as his body, that's you know, going way to the future. When Jesus returns, the invisible church is who's going to be there, his body. And as the church right now, it's his body right now, this is kind of like a foretaste of what the new earth is going to be. And it's supposed to reflect that. It shouldn't be a thing where we don't love each other, where we're making rumors about each other, gossiping about each other. If this has implications in eternity because we are going to be uh, the body of Christ on the new earth. And so what are some ways that we could lay down our lives for our fellow believers? Uh, You know what we're reading there about actions. What are some things we can do? We have three resources we can invest in people on this earth. We have time, we have treasures, and we have talents that we can invest in people. So we all have the same amount of time, 24 hours in a day. But we can choose to use that time to invest and lay up our treasures in heaven, to invest in people and serving people and loving people and working for you know Jesus' body. And so we have that time. We all also have our treasures, and we don't always think about this, but we have money, possessions, things that can help each other that we can invest in people, storing up our treasures in heaven, not right here. And then we have our talents. And this gets into the doctrine of spiritual gifts. And we could do a whole bunch of stuff in that. Uh, Paul especially writes about spiritual gifts several times in the New Testament. And every list is different. So the point about spiritual gifts, we're not going to get into a ton of detail about it, is God has given you something that is going to uh, further His body. It's a reason why you are part of Jesus' body. And it really could be anything that could be used to advance God's kingdom. And like I said, there's lots of lists throughout the Old Testament of different gifts. But I think the bigger picture is whatever you talents you have that can be used for God's glory is your spiritual gift. And so if you're not using those talents to further God's kingdom, but to further your own kingdom, then you're not laying down your life for each other. God gives us gifts to build up the body, to help each other. So whatever you're good at, you should be using in a church, in a body, to serve one another, to love one another, because that's why we have these gifts, is to do that. And maybe we do benefit from it in our own lives, but it's mainly for the edification of the body. And whatever you're good at is a talent you can invest in other believers. And a lot of times we can complain about the church or pick out different faults in it, or these... Terrible or all these things about the church that we don't like. But here's how I think a great way to think of it. Um, I like going on date night with Adrian about once a month. You know, we have two little kids, so it takes a babysitter to do all that. So we like to go to Sherry's. So here's a plug for Sherry's on Blue Lakes. And the reason why we like it is because they play, mainly they play 70s soft rock. and So that's a great environment to have a date night. And it's uh, a rock. soft rock. Hey, Not hard rock, soft rock. Hey, uh, and so that's great. And, you know, it's bright in there. It's not too loud. There's no sports on TV. So we like going to Sherry's. And I saw at Sherry's, we have Thanksgiving coming up. You know, you can go to Sherry's and get Thanksgiving dinner for your whole family uh, if you don't feel like cooking. And so if you go to Sherry's on Thanksgiving dinner, what if your turkey's a little dry? Oh, no. And you say to the waiter or the waitress, hey, my turkey's a little dry. They'll probably say, Oh, I'm sorry about that. Let me get you a more moist turkey. And they would be probably willing to serve you because they're getting paid for it. You're a customer. And hey, now what if you go not to Sherry's for Thanksgiving, but you go to like your grandma's for Thanksgiving and you said to your grandma, Hey, grandma, the turkey's a little dry. And, Ooh, that could be not good. And I don't know. Everyone has a different grandma, but you know what? She might get really, she might slap you. I don't know who your grandma is. And she might yell at you. She might cry, I don't know, or probably you wouldn't even say it because it's your grandma. It's family. You're going to deal with a little bit of dry turkey. And so there's a difference between being a customer and being served versus part of a family. And if you see yourself as a customer, I'm here to be served, you're probably going to complain a lot because you're going to think that people are going to care, that they're going to, well, I mean, everyone's going to care, but you're probably going to think you deserve it. Hey, and when we see church like that, I'm a customer, I'm here to be served, I'm not going to do anything, that's when we tend to complain a lot more. But when we're serving, when we're working as a family, the body of Christ, then some of the things we don't complain about so much because we're part of it. Hey, where It's like going to grandma's house. We're not going to yell at grandma for making dry turkey because we love her. And I'm not, you're not a customer. You're not paying her. Probably if you paid grandma, she might listen to your complaints. So there's a huge difference going somewhere to be served versus going somewhere as a family. And we are God's children. We are a family. We are the body of Christ. And if you're not doing anything for the body, if you're not building the body up in any way, if you have spiritual gifts, and everyone does who has the Holy Spirit living in them, if you're not doing anything to build up the body, then you're the whiny customer. And you're not doing anything to help. You're just complaining. And when you have more consumers than producers, that's how churches die. We need to have producers, people giving, people serving. And that's loving. That's laying your life down. I'm going to give up my right to complain or my needs as a churchgoer. I'm going to give those up and actually do something and help and use my gifts, use my time, use my treasures to serve the body in a loving way. That's agape love. Now there is When you know talking about practically giving of our time, treasures, and talents to people, there's always this going on, at least in the back of my mind. Hey, if you would help everybody who needs help, you probably wouldn't have anything left over. And what if that person you think maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe they shouldn't maybe get that help because there can be enabling, right? And sometimes, I mean, we want to think in love all the time, but there is this in Second Thessalonians that I think helps out that fear that might be in the back of our head of what if we're giving to somebody and maybe they use it to buy drugs or they, I don't know, whatever. Just here's what it says. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge but worked with labor and toiled night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. And I think that can be helpful if, I mean, we can always give in love, and, you know, agape love is one side, it's not necessarily someone loving you back. But if someone... It says if anyone will not work, he shouldn't eat. And there's always circumstances, but if it's just laziness or whatever reasons when someone is perfectly capable, we don't want to enable anybody to continue that. And sometimes the loving thing is to admonish that and say, you know, maybe there's something else we should be doing here instead of just, you know, giving out free things. But the other side of that is we all need our brothers and sisters as well. And I think we can make it easier or difficult for people to want to help you and love you. I mean, we are to love each other sacrificially, but ourselves we can make it easier for people to do that. And if you know, you're serving and giving and people see that you're really a part of this, it's a lot easier to give and to love than it is if you're just consuming all the time. So we can make it easier for each other to love each other too, because we all have this burden, not shouldn't say burden, but we all have this responsibility to love one another We can make it easier for each other uh, by serving and doing the things we're supposed to do and by active love, not just sitting back and thinking it'll take care of itself, but by doing to show our love like Jesus did. The third thing about loving each other that John tells us to do is, uh, well, that it's another sign of our salvation. We've seen, if you've been in the first John study on Sunday nights, there's all these things that point up this is something that should happen when you are truly saved." So in verses 19 through 24, John says this: "And by this we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do these things, those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. And so this is something that if you're not loving each other, not sacrificially agape-loving brothers and sisters, that might be something to repent of. Because he says, I mean, it's again very clear, Uh, he who keeps his commandments abides in in him, and by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. So if we love God, if we have turned to Jesus as our Savior, we are going to want to follow his commandments, and that's part of being saved. And when you've truly given your life to Jesus out of thankfulness and love, and for what he did for you, then that should change some things about the way that you act. And it's not... To gain the salvation, it's because an appreciation of what you have. And one of those things that should happen, an indicator, again, this is between a person and God. No one can say who's saved and who's not. But one of the indicators, if you know, sometimes people question, is do you love your brothers and sisters? If you're giving yourself sacrificially to them, laying down your life as Jesus laid down his life for us, that's an indicator that the Holy Spirit is working in you and you've received salvation from Jesus through his work because that's our guarantee, it says at the end of the chapter, by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. And when the Holy Spirit is working in us, it gives us a desire to want to do what Jesus says, to follow Him, and to follow the, the Word of the Bible. And that's a guarantee of our salvation and the Holy Spirit is living in us. Um, he also says, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So if you're at all like me and reading these things about loving each other and thinking about, man, I really failed when I should have loved somebody better, he says if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. And you know, when I'm studying this and people try to interpret that, you could go in two completely opposite directions and nobody agrees for sure what John actually meant by this, and I think you could take both ways. You could think that our heart is deceitful, is what the Bible teaches. Our feelings, our emotions don't always tell the truth. And so maybe you are loving and serving, agape loving, your brothers and sisters, and you're just feeling condemned, but God knows you truly love the brethren. So we could look at it that way. But we could look at it, uh, if you feel condemned, just imagine how much God knows about how much you should have been doing to love each other. I mean, people say you could take that either way. and I think both could apply. We could say that God knows what we've done and where our heart is, but that's also times kind of scary that God, we sometimes we say, God knows my heart. Yeah, he does. And your heart is evil. So, you know, we could look at it both ways. Uh, and he says, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. So if you don't feel convicted, I think you should probably ask God for some conviction. I don't think any one of us has loved each other as we should. And sometimes we have to pray for conviction, ask the Holy Spirit to convict us so we can repent and serve God more faithfully and love Jesus better the way that He has loved us. And so this all ties to Jesus because, again, Jesus' great, uh, the great commission is to go and make disciples of all nations. And Jesus says the best way to do that is for us to love one another. And so when we give our lives to Jesus as Savior then we want to do what he says. And the Great Commission, one of his biggest commands is to go and make disciples. And according to Jesus, again, this kind of blows my mind is why I say it so many times, the best way we can make disciples is to love one another. Because when they see Christians, when non-Christians see Christians loving each other, they at least want to be a part of that. You know, like, for example, the Wednesday turkey Thanksgiving thing, there hopefully will be a lot of non-believers here because they just want to have Turkey because we have free turkey and we love each other. And, you know, there's a lot of things like that, that when people see true love, true agape love between fellow Christians, when we are one as Jesus is one with his Father, that's huge. And again, I think we've done not the greatest job of that. I haven't done the greatest job of that. And for the way people see Christians, haven't done always the greatest job. Uh. So... Yeah, to... Uh, just to close this, to wrap everything all up, um, there's just one story that I read about that I wanted to share that it, I think it is, to me, one of the best things I've heard about loving fellow Christians. So I don't, you know, I just heard the story. But there was a single mom who had a few kids, and she lost her job and didn't know where, you know, the next paycheck was coming from. Kids needed to eat, and who knows? Okay, and uh, that single mom was receiving prayer, about that, you know, for God to provide, and one of that uh, mother's brothers or sisters heard about that, and they just bought a new pickup, okay, for for like thirty some thousand dollars, very expensive, and they felt, but through the Holy Spirit, I should return that, and that's enough for a single mom to live off of for an entire year, and that's what that person did. I mean, that's amazing, and that's laying down your life for fellow believers, and not that we have to do things so huge like that. It can start with little things. But when we can lay down our lives like that and put other people's needs ahead of ours, man, that, that is huge. So we need to remember that Jesus has given us more than we could ever give each other. And He commands us to love one another. So we should probably do it because of how much He's given us. So who do you need to love this week or this month and these next days coming up? Who's the brother or sister that needs love that maybe you turned away from it, uh, that you didn't put down your life for that person? And there's probably someone in everyone's mind that the Holy Spirit is bringing up that maybe we should have loved better. So we need to remember, it's all about Jesus. And Jesus commands us to do that. And if we love Him, if we've repented, we are going to do what He says. And we can't have enemies in here. We have so many enemies outside these walls. In here, let's just love each other. Because Jesus died for all of us. Jesus died for Joe. He died for me. And we're all part of this together. We're God's body together. And besides that, besides just Jesus, I mean, I love this church, the River Christian Fellowship. And the people, I'm not like the most outgoing guy. You know, I always sit back there getting ready for my slides, you know, getting ready to teach and, I'm always really nervous, but I've met so many people that I love and that have encouraged me, and people that I never would have met if I wasn't a Christian. And that's what's amazing about the grace of God. And especially when you you read in the Bible, society was very divided in those times, and there's a lot of problems, people mixing together who never mixed together before. And we still have some of that. And there's a lot of people that I would have never known or spent any time with if we weren't fellow brothers and sisters. And I just think it's amazing that I get to meet all you and talk to you and I just get to see you several times a week and I'm, just, I'm thankful for that. And I need to do a better job myself of loving you, of serving, putting down my needs and laying down my life and loving agape elite. all you because you're my brothers and sisters so thank god for that let's pray jesus i'm just thankful that you've given me a family here lord god that and introduced me to all these people that i never would have met that just i i love so much and have really helped me in my life and jesus i thank you most of all that this is all because of you that i didn't do anything to deserve this grace but you've given it to me. You did all the work, Jesus. You didn't just look and say, man, I really feel bad for that guy, but whatever. You did it. You came to this earth and were, you were just humiliated and tortured and beaten and spit upon. And you did that to save me and the people here who follow you and believe in you, Lord Jesus. So I pray that you would help us to love each other because you've loved us first. I pray that you would help us to love each other because we have enough people trying to hurt us and do us harm, and that you would just send your Holy Spirit into all of us and to help us to turn away from our selfish forms of love and to give the agape love where we put our needs down because that's what you did for, for us, Lord Jesus. And God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, who hasn't accepted your payment for their sins, Lord, I just pray that you would put that in their hearts that they would want to turn from their sin and turn to you, Jesus. Because I know we're not perfect, but man, it's just been the most amazing thing to follow you, Lord Jesus, and to get to know your people, the people you died for to save too. So thank you that, that that gift is free to everybody and that we can all enjoy that. In your name we pray, amen.
0: You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or give us a call at 800-357-4226. There's also a video of today's teaching available on our website, theriverchristianfellowship.com, and then click the media button. Don't forget to catch the evening service at 7 p.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship live on CSN.